Hi everyone, welcome back again to Straight Up Podcast. We hope you're all doing really, really well. I'm Kathleen and as always, I'm here with my co-host, bestie and fellow journalist, Ellie slash Eleanor, depending how serious we're going. What's the vibe today, huh? Serious. We're going serious today, serious journo vibes. So we do have an incredibly juicy interview for you guys, not gonna lie. It's probably one of the favorites that we've ever done. I mean, we always say that, but genuinely, Mahalia, hottest artist of the moment, at least in our eyes. She's been one of our absolute favorites since she first kind of burst on the scene. Well, actually, maybe I shouldn't say burst on the scene for reasons that you'll find out when you listen to the interview because Correct. It's, been a, it's been a hard graft. She got signed at 13, she's now 23. She's Grammy nominated. She had an incredible debut album that came out in 2019. And now she is releasing a brand new EP, title to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. We can't wait the stories behind it, my God. You know, sometimes in a music interview, not gonna lie, when you talk a little bit too much about someone's release that maybe you haven't heard or maybe the audience haven't heard, you know, it gets a little bit dull, but wow. Like, literally, wow. And we had even asked her before the interview if there was anything that she particularly wanted to discuss. And instead, what she said was that nothing was off the table, that we could literally ask whatever we wanted, that she was so comfortable to talk about every aspect of her life. I know, I thought her PR, who was on the call, was gonna start being like, ah. But actually, but no. yeah, which shows just how authentic, honest, and genuinely lovely Mahalia She's really, real really is. One. She shares like the misconceptions of what it's actually like to be an artist, from sort of net worth, to the music that you make, to what her day-to-day actually looks like you're gonna love it it's great i love i love what i love about this podcast is because i'm so nosy and kathleen is so nosy and we just love knowing what like famous faces do on their thursday afternoons i know when no one's looking her dream night in the london bar she loves she's a big gin and tonic lover fyi just like us guys so that is of course what we drank over the record it was great we were ending on a high because guys, this is our final episode of season two. We've had 10 insane guests and this is just such a way to see it off. We are planning hard for season three, so do not go anywhere, stay subscribed. It's gonna be bigger, better, and even more starry than before, if you can believe it. Can't quite believe it, Cathers. It's gonna be. How can we possibly top Mahalia? I don't know. It's gonna be good, guys. It's gonna be good, so yeah. So do rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for being with us on this journey. We've had a ball. It's funny to think that when we started this podcast, Cathers, we weren't even properly friends, were we? Oh, we were, oh, excuse we, me. That was very offensive. We started this podcast in colleagues. 2019 and we've known each other since 2016. So Jesus, oh, right. <laughs> I would hope. And we'd been on several <laughs> holidays by that point. Maybe we hadn't. We had. Probably. We've been on holiday alone, just me and you, and we've been on holiday oh, with the boys sorry. as well. So it's, I think it's sorry, fair everyone. to say we were pretty good friends. Okay, um, yeah, we were really good friends. Guys, keep, stay on the ride. Find out what happens in season three of Eleanor and Kathleen's friendship. It's going to be great. <laughs> and yeah, we love I think uh, we love each we other. Love you, so thank and we you. We just really yeah, hope we're gonna... you love the podcast as much as we love making it. And let us know if you do. Enjoy. Bye. <laughs> lovely listeners you know by now that we can never dive straight into a chat without telling you just a little bit about what we've been drinking first never could you imagine kathleen after dry january of all months that is in fact why we've got an extra special recommendation for you with this episode guys one of our absolute favorite gym brands and actually the uk's favorite for the second year running it's the award-winning handcrafted luxury gin whitley neal which sent us the most gorgeous bottles from their flavored range for this Mahalia record. A girl after her own heart. I was honestly so relieved, Cathers, when I heard that Mahalia wanted gin and that we would obviously get on as a result. Whitley Neal is the UK's number one premium gin and makes the best gin and tonics with 15 flavors, including rhubarb and ginger, raspberry and blood orange, which I have to say is my personal favorite. Not only are these flavors so fresh and tasty with a dash of tonic, peel of lemon or a sprig of rosemary, they are fabulous in cocktails. They really, really are just the classic even. I bloody love a gin-based cocktail with Prosecco. So when we were at uni, we used to make this drink that was gin, Prosecco, topped with elderflower. It was so good, but also incredibly strong. Now I'm older, I actually have to top it up with a bit of soda, which works a treat. And it's actually very, very nice with the raspberry flavor, my new favorite. I have to say, I love the look of the bottle. All the Whitley Neal flavors all come in different colored bottles that are so pretty. I have them lined up on my drinks trolley. Oh, well you do love your drinks, Charlie, don't you, Al? I do. 
I must say, it was quite painful cracking open all the different bottles for journalistic purposes, as they did look so nice, but I am pleased to report through my extensive research that all of them taste fantastic. If you love gin as much as we do, check out the City of London Distillery as well, where Whitley Neal is produced and where you can go and make your own bottle of Whitley Neal London Dry Gin. It's literally the perfect birthday present activity for a fellow gin lover. That is literally the cutest present ever. You can also get your hand on these fabulously fruity bottles of Whitley Neal gins from all major UK supermarkets and, of course, Good Independence, or head straight to the guys themselves at whitleyneal.com. And that's with a double L at the end, guys. And if you really want to soak up the full experience of this very juicy chat with Mahalia, then I suggest you join us, pour yourself a large gin and tonic, sit back and relax. Mahalia, welcome to Straight Up. We are so excited to have you here. As we've just been discussing, we've both interviewed you, so we were so excited to talk to you again. It's been a few years now to kind of check in. But firstly, we have got gin and tonics in front of us. You love gin. Where do you get your gin and tonics in London? Talk to us about where you go. Yeah, where are your favourite bars? You're in East. Are you like a local hangout kind of gal or do you prefer going into Central? I'm going to be the most boring guest. So... My boyfriend makes the most incredible gin and tonic. It's my absolute favourite. And I just feel like he just, he's, I think it's because he just really gets the size of my glasses. He knows exactly like what rations are perfect, how much ice, how much, he he, he squeezes lime perfectly, puts it around the rim, then puts a bit Ooh. of lime inside. Oh, I don't yeah, do so that. I, it's gorgeous. So I actually think I'm kind of spoiled because he makes such a great one at home. Um, but I also, so I think, I think my like two favorite hangouts like near me so I'm in East London I'm in Bethnal Green and there's a there's a there's a lovely little bar that's really close to me called Satan's Whiskers oh yeah 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 really yes, lovely I place. know that bar it's I like a proper award-winning globally yeah. renowned it's gorgeous oh, mighty exactly so going there for a um for a G&T but also any drink actually they do gorgeous cocktails in there so I think I would say there and I'm going to be really, I can't even believe that I'm going to say it, but I love sitting on the rooftop of Shoreditch House and having a G&T. Oh, that is, it's basic, but brilliant. Is that right? Yeah. It's so basic. I've, I've never like had just, a G&T at Shoreditch House though. Actually, that's like, true. I always go cocktails or rosé. But A G&T at Shoreditch House is stunning. Or a, what's it called? God, I order it all the bloody time. Oh my so, god! Oh, uh, an Eastern, Eastern standard. standard. We're yeah. Gin. <laughs> oh yeah, you love that, Kathleen, don't you? Kathleen, you're really good. You always Marlon, Kathleen's boyfriend, always squeezes in a full lime into yeah. His the lime and gin combo is, is quite a good. One. And I'm told that it, you're meant to put some black pepper on the top. Really? Oh, yeah. a little your boyfriend garnish. with that, Mahalia. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> are you guys foodies? Do you eat out very often, or are you like Deliveroo? we are I would say that we're actually a bit of both I think we're kind of it's so weird because we we met in lockdown so we kind of had to be stay at home either ordering or cook I really got into cooking so I make a lot of food he also does as well but we've just started to start going out again which has been really lovely and just finding new restaurants how did Um, you meet if it was during lockdown if you don't mind me asking was it like an online dating god I wish when I was younger I always was so jealous of all my mates who could do the online dating thing but by that point I'd kind of just started to make a name for myself and I thought like if I go on if I go on hinge and someone goes fuck off what the fuck are you doing here like I think I just was too scared of like somebody knowing me it's uh, just like an even like an even more pressure and like yeah an added layer of vulnerability and like exactly. feeling exposed yeah. yeah but so I met him this was actually so this was last year Oh, September at the end of summer when they were sit, like you could just sit back in like pubs again so pubs were open um and I was in the pub with some friends I was moving flat so I was kind of like celebrating um and one of one of my friends brought him with him and he sat down we actually were like totally just friends like we just really got on like really got on he also did music I also did music so we had loads to talk about um and we just kind of it felt like it felt like this like weird high school crush where you just oh, kind of oh that's amazing like I, yeah like, like butterflies totally every time you see each other <laughs> <Yeah. That's laughs> literally so 
I completely fancied him. He, nobody told anybody. I didn't tell him. He didn't speak to me. It was all very private. Like, it was just very, like, we would just chat about stuff and we would talk. And yeah, it, it was that kind of thing where sometimes, like, all my friends would come over and we'd sit and play, like, Monopoly or do stuff. And his hand might touch my leg and I'd be like, holy <gasps> fuck. So it was very, um, it was really lovely. But then we, um, we eventually told one another. And luckily, the feelings were all mutual. And then we've been together for a year and he's absolutely, he's just the loveliest. And I'm, yeah, just like really, for the first time ever, just really happy. And like, oh my God. Like, I mean, so I still cute. have my shit, of course, just like as a girl, but like, and he pisses me off more than anybody in the world. But I feel like a lot of that is just from like <laughs> loving someone, you know? For sure. Yeah. And I think you recognize as well, or it's definitely been true for me that a lot of the times when you get really annoyed, it's usually something that taps into like bigger, like gender yeah. dynamics. And yeah. You're like, can you not always cast me in the role of like annoying <laughs> nag and you as yeah. useless kind of vibe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One thousand percent. Although yeah. I have the opposite. My boyfriend, Issa, always like does all the cleaning, always like stocks up the cupboard, cooks, like buys everything. What? And I literally do nothing. I find some buys the cat food. I know it's. I'm like shit. My oh my god, he buys the cat food. That's so he funny. He buys the yeah. He buys all the cat food. Wow. I don't know. Uh, no, I do the council tax. That's what I do. <laughs> Your one job. <laughs> it's like an online standing order that I literally don't have to do anything. But <laughs> Mahalia, let's get on to the songs that shaped you. What were okay. your parents playing when you were going up? Your parents are both musicians, right? It yeah. must have been. Quite a musical household. Tell us a little bit about that. It definitely was. I think music was basically like, music felt like the soundtrack to everything, I think, in our house. So whether that be like dinner time or like when mum was cooking or or actually when dad was cooking. My mum and dad, probably probably like um, your partner, Eleanor, like my dad was so hands-on with cleaning, cooking, oh, everything. So um, yeah, like music was always on. And then the funny thing that I found was like, when like all of us because I've got three brothers uh my youngest one is like quite a lot younger than us so if I'm ever referencing my brothers and me growing up I mean my older two ones the the, the best thing ever was when we kind of got to a certain age and then they would have music playing out of their separate rooms and I'd have music playing out of my room and mum and dad would have theirs downstairs so there was always like so much different music and it kind of like it kind of varied for like through everything it was like like downstairs mum and dad would always have old soul Motown R&B playing my eldest brother Jamal would have all the newest best fucking hip-hop all the rappers all the really big American rappers he like introduced me to my next brother Zane he would have on I mean he could be playing anything between Jojo and the Arctic Monkeys so he (laughs) he was quite an oddball and then I was kind of just like sapping it all up I was just like I think that's why I'm kind of just inspired by everything and I always have been because everybody plays everything you know from Erica Badu to Lauren Hill to to Angie Stone to Jill Scott and then to Jay-Z and Kanye and and then to Jojo and Arctic Monkeys and the Kooks so there was this real mixture of music that I was like inspired by in so many ways and all for different reasons. I saw in an interview that you listen to Jill Scott every day. Is that still the case? I love Jill Scott so much. Like, unbelievably. I probably don't listen to her every day anymore, but there was a, there was definitely, definitely a time when I used to play her music all the time. Angie Stone as well, I think. Those two I kind of switched between. They were like, for me anyway, they felt like a similar era. So I felt like they were like my two like soul women that I would listen to a lot. Um, yeah. You've been making, you've been, I don't know if you finished it yet, but you've been recording your new EP. And I wonder when you're in the kind of creation zone, do you find that you basically can't listen to any new music and you have to listen yeah. to only like old, old souls in case yeah. you're so worried that you like accidentally plagiarize stuff or, <laughs> yeah. or just like get influenced? Is it? How that? do you know that? Well, only because I've interviewed so many musicians now that I always notice that when they're in their yeah I'm always like what do you think of this and they're like what and I'm like how do you not know like this massive yeah. song and it's because they just blank it all out I would I'm do the exactly same the same yeah, yeah I don't I actually find it quite crazy 
how much I miss. So like, and like, what's crazy is like artists that I love will release albums. Drake released Certified Lover Boy, Adele released 30, Joy Crooks' new album. I've not had the chance to really, actually I've listened to pockets of all of them, but I've not had the chance to actually sit and like digest an album like I normally would. And that's yeah. just because I'm in the, the creative space. So um, it's quite frustrating because then when you come out of it, there is a truckload of music that you kind of have to Got to learn all the lyrics in time for festival yeah. season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> but it does like, it makes you feel slightly out of touch because then 100% like I'll do interviews and somebody will ask me and I get a bit embarrassed because I'm like, oh my God, am I a bad musician? Oh, is that but why you were like, know. how do you know earlier? <laughs> yeah. I hit the nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little about a little bit about the new EP then. Obviously, this interview is in honor of it. Everyone's very excited. <laughs> I am I'm really excited. I'm like, do you know what? This EP actually came because I was making my second album. And I I basically I wanted more time. I like I'd spent all this time in the UK. I'd obviously by well at the port. Oh, I can't speak English at the minute. Uh, Have more gin. <laughs> at the point that I'd stuck, babe, I can't. I've got therapy after this. I know. No, I'm actually really excited. I feel like it's going to give me a little bit more openness. I think I'm going to have so much to say after this. Um, but yeah, so I think at the point that I started writing the album, I... Oh God, how long have we been? Uh, okay, right, so I think that we'd been in lockdown. So we'd had the six months lockdown, then we'd had the little break, then we went into tier four at Christmas, which was really, for me, quite painful. I'm sure it was for many others. But when I, I like spent, I spent Christmas last year in this flat and like I like Zoomed my family and it was just the weirdest thing. And then it was like a month after that, that I started writing. And I think by that point I was really ready. I'd had that much isolation. I've been on my own for so long. And I just was excited to kind of get out and tell some stories. So new year of 2021, I then sat down um, and I don't know what it was. I just had, I had so much that I wanted to talk about and I didn't feel like I could do it all on one album. So it wasn't until like the end of summer that I decided that I was going to make the CP. And I think... I just love it. There's the stories that are on this EP feel like they just feel really current for me. It's all stuff that I've kind of gone through over the past year and a half, two years, some stuff that kind of came up when I met my now partner. Um, yeah. And there's just, it just feels very honest as they all do, but this particularly feels like it just feels really honest. And I wrote, I wrote um, one of the songs on there. No, sorry, two of the songs on there with my partner. So it feels oh. like a oh little, I know. So when you say he works yeah. in music, what does he do exactly? So he's an artist in his own right. He's like, he, I mean, most of the time he's in his studio making his music. But when I first heard him, because I didn't know that he was an artist when I first met him. I just like knew him as Ben. And then we did a session together just at, at his home studio in his garden and I just thought what like first of all how has nobody heard of you but second of all like you're amazing so then we started writing together a little bit and then I basically coaxed him into just coming and making my album with me so we've actually been oh my I basically spent the whole of the year with him writing my record and it's so easy like making this EP was so simple because the two the two stories that I wrote on my own came from feelings that I felt. There's one song on there called Letter to Your Ex that I totally wrote to, God, should I fucking say this? I'm going to say it. I totally wrote it to my boyfriend's ex-girlfriend and I really had to like <laughs> get out this like, emotion that I was feeling. And then two of the songs that I wrote with him and it's really sweet to like have that together because everything that we talk about is pillow talk like everything Wait, sorry that but that's about. amazing so he's totally cool with you having a song about his ex-girlfriend yeah love that how does that <laughs> conversation play out because not every not I guess everyone. if he's an artist as well it's like he gets it. everything's copy yeah. yeah 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 100% I think he just like I think he just understands that 
that's my way of communicating and like the thing is if I could have you know I would have sent that to her I would have literally sent her that song and it and it like everything I'm saying in it I think was never um the intention was never to be mean I think it was always like to like ask politely just to take a step back so that I could (laughs) enjoy the start of my relationship um so yeah it was like I don't know I think it's a really honest and like really special EP and I'm really excited yeah it's very much removing the stigma of like it's kind of I think when girls um start talking about exes and stuff we're so worried of being like the crazy girlfriend that's obsessed with exes but actually there's a very healthy attitude to take for both you and the ex and your boyfriend yeah and that should be normalized yeah and, and and like because of that I then wrote I then wrote another song I'm totally giving you all the spoilers and I love it. I then wrote another song, which is called Letter to Your Nets, which, because then I, because then I was, (laughs) right. I was, (laughs) I was thinking about also being that girl and totally remembering being the ex-girlfriend who just wanted to so badly hold on to this person that was no longer in my life. So I then wrote the song from that perspective. So, you know, one thing I do hope is that if she ever hears it is, that she she understands that like I also understand and I and yeah. I like want to I don't know it's just you know I women I just never want I never want I would never want another girl to think that I was doing something to either embarrass her or to make her feel small or less than so I think writing that second song was important for me to make sure that I don't know just to make sure that she also knew that I have stood in those shoes and know what it feels yeah. like and yeah like leading with so much empathy when you're thinking yeah. about her situation do you find yeah. it hard now to write about or have you in the last year since you met your man found it more difficult to write about heartbreak no, no. <laughs> never ever no no never I mean there's so much it's like, always fearing the worst yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's so much I do remember a moment in in that Christmas period um when we were in isolation again where I start like I'm well I'm certain that I started an argument with him so that I could write something because because it was all very good and it was and I was like well this is great but this isn't going to do anything for my brain um but no I actually don't think it's hard you know I also I think, think um that's a th- I do that but that's also because I just want to have like the spark again yeah like when you fight it's kind of hot so yeah 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 what's that meme of that girl and she's pressing the red button on the red button it says choose violence and she's like ah. <laughs> like it's very um every time I think about that exact moment I just think about that picture and it really is that and yeah like I think because all of my stories are so personal and so um honest and kind of true to what I'm going through I mm. I can't write about things that I don't know about so I have to experience them and um but also I, like all the heartbreaks that I've gone through that there are so many different parts of it that I haven't yet covered so um I think there's a lot of material in heartbreak and I think if you can remember a feeling you can always create from that feeling so yeah I'm not worried about that but you know if um if I do need it I'll just I'll just do something and make also, he has to create a quick argument <laughs> yeah. he has a get out clause now though right because if he starts <laughs> off like but babe you needed you needed some creative juices I was just giving yeah. it to you yeah yeah Guys, do you want an amazing discount on sanitary products that will literally change the world? Then let us introduce you to Dame, the world's first climate positive period brand, making products that are both healthier for you and the planet. It's also a very impressive and persuasive 25% discount. And all you have to do is use the code UP25 at the checkout at wearedame.co. So that's a capital U, capital P, 25. We are obsessed with these products and we promise you will be too. We genuinely only work with brands that we really love and Dame is like this female founded green incredible business totally changing the game uh, being completely honest until this year I hadn't really thought about the grim reality of where period products actually go how much they contribute to landfill um, I had for a while been nervous about the health implications of tampons because I knew the plastics and chemicals in them literally leak into your body and you know I think we can all agree that that is very gross and should not be happening um, when I first heard of Dame though through a friend it was music to my ears because the products were exactly what I'd been looking for I just needed the push to put them to the test and we hope that this lovely juicy discount will be yours we have personally tried both the reusable tampon 
applicator and tampons and the reusable pads and trust me when I say that we are never going back. Dame have already saved hundreds of millions of pieces of plastic from going into landfill and accessibility is also a big part of their mission. Dame work to ensure that people who have periods everywhere have better access to products, education and resources and most importantly however the products are as we say just really great. So if you haven't already check out wearedame.co you're probably on there as I'm speaking right now we'd recommend shopping there for the discount obviously but also worth mentioning uh, stockists are Boots, Waitrose, Sainsbury's and Ocado. Thank you so much to Dame. So let's go back again to your teenage years. Obviously you got signed at 13, which is incredibly young by any standards. What music makes you think of that time? Like what were you into? Obviously you'd been writing and even starting to perform, but what were the artists? Oh my God. Uh, I have to to say Ed Sheeran. Um, He's like a mentor for you, right? In a way. Yeah, he was so big for me in school because it was like, I just... Oh my God, I just loved, like, I loved how he would tell stories. And I, just him and his guitar, and he would, like, write all these, like, I just, I just thought he was fantastic. And I just wanted to be able to tell stories like that. And he would tell them so simply, but also so beautifully. And that first album, Plus, will always be so special to me, I think. Um, So I think I have to say Ed, I have to say Adele 19. Yeah. That was my favourite album. So it's still my favourite Adele album, which is nuts. And everybody always tells me that I'm crazy. But I think it's just because it just has such a deep, lovely space in my heart that I can't ever let go of that record. Um, What's your all-time favourite Adele song? All-time favourite? I think it's... um. Uh, I always get shouted at because everyone always thinks that I'm wrong, but it's a song called Daydreamer. Ooh, okay. I oh, I don't know think... it. I can't no, think of it. The... You've... You've got to sing a little bit, Mahalia. Have you got a real niche fan? Day. Wait, I need to take an AirPod out so that I can hear myself. (laughs) It goes, uh, day dreamer, sitting on a scene, smoking on a sign. He is a real lover, making up the past and feeling up his girl like he's never felt a figure before. I used to love that song. Oh my song. God, Gorge. that was gorgeous. <laughs> Thanks. I used yeah. to love it. I'm just grabbing something. Am I allowed to move? Is that okay. fine? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I'm a big Chasing <laughs> Pavements fan, but... Oh, I, I love that song as well. Ooh, yeah. That's a gorgeous song. Oh, and also, I don't think Hometown Glory will ever be not... Oh my God, Hometown Glory is literally... Do you remember they Isn't used it in Skins in like the really earlier... It was like on one of the soundtracks for Skins when Did it first they? came. Yeah, so it's like even more nostalgic and kind of like teenage and sentimental. Oh, I don't remember that. That's really sweet. Um, what about the first song or what about the song that soundtracked your first romance? Because I know you had like a kind of long puppy love, initial boyfriend. <gasps> How experience. do you know that? I tell everybody so yeah. much. You told me when we you we Did I? the last time. Yeah. Aww. I remember you lovely. talking about your ex in your, in your last interview with me as well. I'm going to... I'm trying to get it up now. I can't remember it. Hey, maybe your boyfriend will also then want to do a letter to your ex. And it can be a cute little double. My um, yeah, I think. I mean, my like my like first love. He like we were kids, so we were like thirteen, and then we stayed we stayed friends. Like I think because we grew up in the same town and went to the same schools. Like you don't really you don't really lose each other because every mm. time I go home, they're all there and. I'm still close to a lot of his family and his sister is my best, best, best friend from school. So her baby, Henry, is my godson. So it's all kind of like Aww. linked. Um, he Do you was- see him like a brother now? Because like one of my best friends, his her ex-boyfriend from when we were like literally 14 or something, they're still friends. Like we're still all in the same big Aww. friendship group. And she now, even though they literally went out for like seven years, now she's like, Seven. He's my brother. Like the Even thought that we were sex. ever. Yeah, she was like, that is the most like repulsively Weird. vile thing to me. She's like blocks it all out of her mind and can like only see him as like a very really? platonic friend. And for some that's reason, that's just how her brain has dealt with it. Just a lot of sex. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. as I say, from yeah. you know, fourteen <laughs> to twenty-one, basically. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, he's <laughs> not. He's not like a brother to me. I think he'll always be like my first boyfriend, but he's definitely. I think. I think what's really nice for us is that we kind of had to part ways just because it wasn't it wasn't right anymore. I think we were young and we were kind of 
trying to like because we we dated again officially when we were like 19 so I think we were trying to relive or like rekindle that spark from school and it was lovely for about a year and like I, I think we both got to live out that first love that we really wanted to have together um but we just split because I really wanted to go to London and I wanted to kind of do that and he wanted to stay there and I didn't really want to do that back and forth anymore but so we didn't speak for a really long time and I actually think you know sometimes I think something like a baby or like just really big events sometimes bring people back together and I think the fact that me and his sister have always stayed extremely close me and him have to be fine and we have to just keep it okay and now that his nephew is my godson we're always gonna see each other and like have that link and like it's not about how we feel or if either one of us has a bad taste in our mouths it's it's now about the baby and like bringing him up with all of us around him so I think it's um yeah it's that will always be a lovely memory for me I think the song to kind of soundtrack it um would have to be god it would have to be oh my god it's making me go what the fuck um (laughs) I think it'd be Jack Johnson banana pancakes remember that song yeah I feel like that's like the classic song that's always playing in anywhere that styles itself as a beach bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No, like, it was. I think it was always that like story about um, him singing about like not wanting her to go out today. It's raining outside. Let's stay inside and make banana pancakes. I was just like, oh, I love it. I want it. I want someone to say that about me. Sometimes I say to my boyfriend, like, don't go out today. Let's, you know, it's raining. Let's stay in and and watch all of Handmaid's Tale, and he's like, no, I don't go to work. <laughs> that really romantic Come on, it'd be program. so romantic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you won't write about? Is there anything that's off limits? Or that you have written about and you've been like, shit, never again? I don't... One time I wrote a song called Delilah and, like, thought it was brilliant, and it was about it was about a dream that I'd had about having sex with a girl. Um, and I wrote a song about that. And then after, I was like, do you know what? I don't think I'm going to put that into words. Like I played it to my parents and my dad was like, oh. your parents? <laughs> and my dad was kind of just like, I'm not sure about this one, babe. And do you know what? It was nice for me to kind of get it out on page, but I don't think I need to like write about it again. It just felt like, That's it just cool. felt a That's bit cool that, your, that your parents can be a sounding board for yeah. even the more sexual risky songs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was quite fun, actually. Do you know what, though? I don't think I would never not write about anything. I think I would get it out. And then if it's not right, I just would never release it. But I think it's important to sometimes get those things onto onto paper. What's your, like, song success rate in terms of, say, for this EP, how many tracks there are versus how many you had to scrap to get to the final number? So many. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, let's say... With this EP and like all the songs that I had written for my album, let's say I had 17 that I like loved and was like, okay, cool. I'm going to split this into EP and album. Yeah. That would come from like 60. Oh, wow. Okay. So literally yeah. more than, you're only keeping like a third. Yeah. And that's wow. like 64 written songs. And then you have like a million half written songs. Little bits in your notes and stuff. Is that where you yeah. start on your phone and then on my phone or in my notepad, which is always, yeah, it's right there. It's like always by me. So many musicians like on the podcast have said to us that it's only kind of recently that they've managed to make the music they love. And obviously for artists who start out really young, that journey is one just of growing up and finding your feet. How's that been for you? Do you think it's taken you a little bit of time to find your sound? Or do you think you were always kind of sure of it? I think I probably just like I think it kind of developed with me. So as I got older, I mean, your voice changes so much without even realising. Like even even now in the past year, from like, you know, 2022 to 23, it's changed even more. It's like I kind of I kind of just developed and grew as I got older and like as I was more inspired by different things. I think when I was a kid, I just wanted to play guitar and sing because Ed Sheeran and Corin Bailey Ray did that so I just wanted to kind of do what they did and then when I was 14 I wanted to sing with a really harsh British accent because that's what Kate Nash and Lily Allen did and then I got older and I realized that actually you know my I am from Leicester and I do say shut up 
so then I then I thought fuck it I'm gonna sing like um I'm gonna sing like or I'm gonna make music like the Arctic Monkeys like I think we all kind of went went through those phases so you're kind of going through that phase as kids do with music except I was doing it whilst also trying to create music at the same time so I think you really feel that as you go through my catalogue just how just how much I've kind of developed and I've definitely had moments that I like I'm not necessarily proud of now or, or, or like some song moments like some of my songs sometimes feel like shitty outfit choices when you're 18 but yeah. I think like I think that's all part of it you know it's all part of like the growth it's just different because it's obviously in the public eye and yeah. people can still listen to it it's like a trail of evidence yeah <laughs> we always like to kind of drill in on the podcast about like the moment where you kind of almost realized the kind of how how far your success was playing out in terms of how many people you knew your name because I think you know normal normal people but me and people like me and Kathleen (laughs) where we're successful in our careers right it's a very private success we see success in our very in our own bubbles but for you when you're a name and you're something that's out into the world like millions of fans it must be so weird when you have that moment of like oh my god I've been paid this many times, heard by this many people, have this many followers. Like, do you yeah. remember that moment where you're like, I feel seen, I'm everywhere? <laughs> I think I'm I'm just I think that moment. I think my honest answer is that I think if you're lucky, you have that moment over and over and over again. So I've had quite a few of those moments. But I but I do remember the first moment, and that was with um that was when I put out a song called Sober when I was 19. A song called Sober, as if we don't all know it. Little <laughs> song. Well, so I put out a song, I put out a song called Sober. And um when I was eight, no, I was 19. And I remember putting it out and I and I really loved it and I was really proud of it. And I thought everyone's gonna love this song. And then it didn't really do anything. And I was like, oh fuck, okay, on to the next. I remember having a chat with the label and them being like, okay. We're going to move on to the next thing. And I was a bit disappointed. I kind of thought it was going to do more. And then it was like two months after I released it, I then went and did the Colours Show session. Mm. Uh, just just because I wanted to and sorted it out with Rach. And I went and did that. And then uh, came back from Berlin. I twisted my ankle in the airport on the way home. I remember, yeah, like it was a really kind of shitty, weird time. And then... Oh, God, were you running I, for someone? Yeah. I was luggage. running for my plane. Oh, <laughs> I'd gone to the wrong airport in Berlin, so I had to get a car across town to go to the other airport. Um, I, I imagine it's probably like a similar distance between Gatwick and Heathrow, but oh but it, it was just so mental. I was in the car for about an hour, had half an hour to board my plane, go through security, all the stuff. Luckily, it was a smaller airport, so I sprinted and fell straight down <laughs> the stairs and twisted my ankle. Oh, babe! I know. Um, but then it went viral and I and I just like I completely remember that moment just going like what the fuck is going on like all these people are are, are messaging me and speaking to me and following me and and talking and then it was after that that I did my first sold out show which was at Camden Assembly that was my biggest show ever and I, I don't remember the the, the cat, that's because co- colors I don't remember colors being as big as it is now back when you no. were 19 why did it go viral do you sober think? was one of the first like really big hits for colors yeah. as well right yeah. yeah 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 it was it was sober and then there was the the Billie Eilish one that also had done really well but she was also having a moment at that point so it was like somebody tweeted it someone tweeted like the actual clip so not just the link I think when you like I think it was, yeah, it was definitely a clip because if you scrolled past it, it would play. So yeah. somebody tweeted like a clip of it and it just started, it, it it was unbelievable. Like I remember my brother messaged me and said, look at this, it's got 20,000 retweets, which is more than, the, the, more than like more retweets than anything I've ever come close to just by tweeting something. And then it had like 58,000 retweets and then more and more and more and more and more. And then other and then other pages started sharing it, and then the blog started sharing it, and then it was going, it was on Instagram, and then all these artists were posting it, and like um, Billie Eilish came to me and was like, "This is amazing." Snow Allegra, her, 
George oh Smith. God. Yeah, it was just like, and I was kind of like in my bedroom with my cat and my boyfriend <laughs> at the time in Leicester, just like, oh my God, oh my God, what the fuck's going on? And at that point I had this life of like, going to Lidl to do the weekly shot while my boyfriend was at work. I had my cat, Bluebell. I loved her to death. I was living in my dad's house in Leicester. And it was just like, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, but I remember that moment so, so, so well. And it will always be like such a big thing for me just to kind of experience that. And then I did my first ever sold out tour, which was tiny. It was tiny, but it was just, being able to sell out these small rooms that I'd never been able to do before. Like I was playing before I could play to 20 people and then that tour I could play to 200 and the next tour it was a thousand and then, or no, like 500. And then now it's like four, four and 5,000. Um, and then I have a second moment. I'm sorry, I'm being so annoying, but my second moment had to be Glastonbury. Oh, yeah. I think Glastonbury course. always makes people feel like that. Um, but I played the John Peel stage, which is like the biggest, I, I, I'm I pretty sure it's the biggest indoor like tent stage in Europe. I think someone told me that. Yeah, that and it's like, always like breaking the coolest artist yeah. ever. I saw yeah. James Blake on that stage once. Oh, see, yeah, like, I can so picture that. And that was 7,000 people and it was fucking rammed. And I just was like, what the hell is going on? So I, I have a few moments. Also, it. I wonder if... um maybe this is me getting it totally wrong, but I felt your song with Burner Boy, Simmer, was enormous. I literally yeah. had that on repeat. I remember it, so I remember going to visit my boyfriend in New York and I just played it all the time. It was on the like radio the all the time. Song. Like you heard it everywhere. Yeah, Simmer's, Simmer, Simmer was also definitely one of those moments. And that was my first ever chart position. And I've never had one since. So that was the first time ever that a song, I, that was the first plaque I got. Um, and I've only got two, but that was the one that like was like like I recently just got got a plaque, got a silver plaque for I wish I missed my ex, which came out like quite a long time before Simmer. So Simmer really like rocketed um, for me. And like I hear Simmer in people's cars all the time, like when I'm walking Such around. A bang. So, Do you yeah, what and yeah. what when? How does that success play out in real terms? So when you get those big milestones and you're like, shit, I've blown up do you suddenly get loads of invites or suddenly everyone's asking you to jump on their track? Like, how does yes. that, how do you see yeah. that really? Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's like, you know, all these people want to, want to chat and everybody wants to meet you. And like, I went to America and I was meeting all these people and I was doing sessions. I think I had a session with Pharrell and I like shat myself. Oh my God. <gasps> like somebody, um, there's a guy that I work with in LA and he came to me and he was like, do you want to do a session with P? And I said, who the fuck is P? And then he said Pharrell. And I was like, yeah. And then I went and did that. And then I was meant to get on a plane the next day. But then this guy called me again and said, Pharrell wants you to come back. So I delayed my plane and I went back and did more music with him. And and then, yeah, it's just like, I think it always comes from other artists' recognition the most. I think when other artists come to you and say, I think you're great. Um, that's a really, really gorgeous feeling. It must be, like you say, like really overwhelming when you've worked for something for so long. And then for it all to feel like years of work is almost like paying off like overnight in like yeah. one big like remember you saying that to me in, in our interview Mahalia you were like I'm not an overnight success story I've been putting in hard yeah. graft and we yeah. talked about in fact you feeling frustrations about the fact that you know um it sometimes felt like the industry needed an overnight success story and didn't yeah. want to acknowledge the like hard work yeah. years. definitely most definitely I think a lot of like I think I think that's a huge part of it and I think a lot of artists feel that it's like you kind of come into people's world as like this new artist and I mean it's amazing to be called like you know best newcomer or like here's an incredible new artist yeah 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 but like yeah of course you can't help but go oh guys like I love you and thank you for this recognition but I can you also just talk about the fact that I've fucking been here for 10 years waiting for you to say that about me um (laughs) Yeah, and then it's mad because then when it happens, all of that time, you kind of, you don't forget about the graft and the grind and what happened, but it just becomes air. It's no longer 10 years. I find now that so weird. I was like... voting for the Brits yesterday and and it was Getz was in Best New Artist and someone else. Oh. And I was like, 
that's it's weird. so weird I think they yeah, count it based on like charting artists. don't they it's like if someone's been in the like top 10 because I've always yeah. thought that's so weird yeah, yeah. in like best new artists they always have like really like gigs was in it a couple of years ago like they'll have like the really really like OG yeah, like rappers that's... who maybe are suddenly having like yeah they just mean boom. they just like, mean like best new artists for us at the in Brits, like but... yeah the yeah top but five. Like, I mean gets I, I have said it'd be embarrassing from... to to win that award, sure. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. It'd be like a bit awkward and weird to be like, guys, are you, are you sure? Um... <laughs> I remember like the first Mobos I went to, I was like 17 or maybe like 18. And, and I remember Getz like performing and like he was the star of the show and like he won loads of... Getz is like, to me, Getz, and it's such a huge statement, but he will always be in my eyes, like hands down, top three, one of the best fucking rappers in the UK. He's amazing. Like, and and definitely in my eyes, top three best lyricists I've ever heard he's just fantastic yeah. so yeah like to call him best new artist is like fucking hell you lot have got no idea but you know would you say that kind of, of thing yeah for you um having that kind of narrative of overnight success story would you say that is like the most annoying misconception that people have about you that you'd want to correct or is there like something that you see over and over again come up that is a big bugbear for you because you're like guys that is not real <laughs> <laughs> I think um I personally don't find it annoying because I think basically what the industry like when the industry does that if anything it's just given me more time it's given me more time to kind of grow and like become this household name so and also like I totally believe that it takes 10 years to build an overnight success and then takes mm. 10 more years to kind of solidify that position and that role so um that doesn't bother me I'm trying to think of any bugbears that like yeah. really or like, what's the most annoying thing that journalists do or yes. media? You know, saying this as journalists, we know we can as be very annoying journalists. sometimes. No. <laughs> they don't do it anymore. But like it, for the first like six years of my career, it was always I always felt like the main exciting part about my story was Ed Sheeran, I think. Mm. And that always like I think that always frustrated me, but not so much because not so much because um because I didn't enjoy that because that you know that what Ed did for me in the beginning was so huge um and I and I will always I will always feel slightly indebted to him for that but but it was more so because I felt like I wasn't interesting without that story and I think that is sometimes frustrating and I, and I think it happens a lot to I think it happens a lot to girls I think girls sometimes feel like we're only important if there's a man attached to us yeah. or if there's a man to kind of lift us up so but I quickly got over that and once I kind of started to have my own success a lot of that went away yeah it's such a trope in journalism I think to try when you're trying to explain someone who might be like new to a reader they just use like an already existing yeah, yeah. name but actually yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. super boring because like you say then probably every single Mahalia interview in 2017 would have had the same opener like yeah. in so-and-so Ed Sheeran but <laughs> I will say this, having been on both sides as a journalist and an editor and having used an Ed Sheeran anecdote, I did that recently with um, with Maisie Peters, Ed Sheeran oh, yeah. also scouted her, but it's because I know when I'm filing my piece to an editor, they're going to be like, we need to make the kind of old telegraph reader, for instance, understand immediately what a big deal yeah. this person is and we need yeah. a big name and stats. So I know it is frustrating, but often it isn't as like, lazy or malicious as artists maybe think and it's more yeah. just like it's either that or the you know that it's going to be rewritten that way anyway yeah 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 no I definitely I do think but, if but it just, is so frustrating I know but I do think if you are just kind of an intelligent person you understand that because I definitely yeah. understood I think it was I think it like I think it was frustrating but equally I understood it and and also like I would never... if it's like 10 years down the line and they're still using it it's like okay well <laughs> we're no longer a rising star here so you can move yeah, on. yeah yeah then yeah, that's yeah. actually just offensive yeah but I think it's more because for the for the artist it um it's just uh repetitive but it's yeah you not, just read the like, same feature over and over yeah but like when I yeah. really think about it like every god like every feature matters that every blog matters just like every retweet matters and every like and share matters. So it's, you so read it's like, everything. I don't anymore. I used to read a lot more. Um, I get really excited about gig reviews. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I always just, like, so glowing, I bet. <laughs> Sometimes I think, I think reading album reviews is always quite scary. 
um, just because obviously it's just it's just so personal I think you kind of want everyone mm. to love it and not everyone does love it and that's and, and that's fine and as I've gotten older I've like really been okay with um, negative or constructive criticism so yeah yeah what about just like, yourself yeah, yeah I was about to ask that what's the weird thing you <laughs> um, found on there do I google myself I used to a lot more the funniest thing I think I've, I've ever found is like Mahalia Networth and I'm just like are they I ever wish. right? I know they They're are never right. always like a wildly. I always Google yeah. them. I'm sorry. To say. Do you, I Ellie? Come Google on, them. you should know better than I know, to actually I can't use that it. as a source. Yeah, like <laughs> not not, friend, in, not as a journalist. Sorry, yeah. I've seen it as <laughs> in a, your articles. No, <laughs> my friends, my friends. When I go home, especially, like if I go mm. like to the pub and like I see like all the boys that I used to go to school with. Oh I think God, the first then. sentence, first sentence they say is like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" But then the second thing they say is, hey, I fucking saw your net worth online the other day. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Did it say two million? I'm sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm fucking struggling to pay my rent. So shut up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think net worth is the funniest thing always. Because you're like, God, am I worth that? Can somebody give me that? Because <laughs> I'm waiting for it. What are they basing this on? <laughs> yeah. Well, talking of money, um, have you made any really great investments? We love to give our listeners a bit of advice. We've oh, had some good I've, money tips on here before. Have I? Do you know what? I, I, I don't know. I definitely don't buy. Um, I'm not. One thing I will say is that I'm not I'm not a crazy spender. So I'm quite I'm quite sensible. I think a lot of that just comes from humble beginnings and like never really like having a lot of money I definitely didn't grow up with no money but I didn't have enough money to kind of go out and ever splurge or do silly things so I'm really particular about what I buy and what I do and everything I buy I always eventually think I will use it for a bit of time and then sell it on make some money do that but no I I haven't made any investments yet I think for me as just as a personal goal it's always been to buy a house and be able to have somewhere that's mine and stop putting money into other people's pockets and start putting money back into mine so um yeah I think it's that but furniture is really important for me what is that your like guilty pleasure then more than designer clothes or like bags or anything like that you're an interiors gal yes I'm an interiors gal and like the thing about like my sofa is my absolute pride and joy it goes all the way around I did notice that when you got up earlier it's very chic I know, so dangerous, but it's industrial fabric. Especially so with your red wine, love. Yeah. And it, babe, I've dropped red wine on here so many times, you'd have no idea. But God. it's quite mad. But yeah, so like sofas, beds, um, anything like that, I usually spend quite a lot of money on. But the, but the great thing about it is with anything like that, and if you keep it in great condition, you can always resell that and then That's buy true. something else. So um, yeah, for me, it's definitely decor. And for me, when it comes to anything that's like lovely or designer or, you know, I, I'm like really into vintage designer. So um, did you get your furniture like off Etsy and... I actually didn't. This this furniture was actually given to me um, by these two girls. They started a sofa company called Naven Sofa Factory and it's based in Dublin. They make really beautiful sofas and I... I, I think I just admired one because it came up like my explore page is just like interior <laughs> design stuff. So I just was like, wow, this sofa is beautiful. And then they messaged me and said, we would love to send you one. And it was really sweet. It like came and I fucking love it. But it's nice because it means that I kind of had to, like, I kind of get to live my like dream sofa life without spending that money. And then one day I'll do that and really put the money in. But I buy everything that's clothing and bags I buy everything secondhand but like really great secondhand and I I, I personally yeah I like personally think for me anyway it's been a great investment the thing about vintage designer is that it usually usually the the price normally goes up with age which is quite funny they're actually good investments in terms of how much you'll be able to sell it for in 10 years yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think everything I everything I buy like that, I buy because I hope that one day I'll have a daughter who will want to wear it. You keep it all in storage. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely like my mum's wardrobe was such a vital part of like my my teenage years. So, do you still I dip just, into it now? 
yeah of course and yeah. she she now has like I kind of get my like pre-loved um thing from her and she now has a pre-loved shop where she only sells like clothes nice. that people bring in and she resells them so I give her a lot of my old stuff and Ooh, is that up in Leicester that's in Sourbridge, just outside of Birmingham. So she lives up there now. Okay, um, good tip. I bet if you went into that shop, it's probably got some great stuff. It's so good. It. It's so good. And it's really sweet because she takes like, you know, there's stuff that I wear in like my videos and she has it and she and it's not for sale, but she keeps it. And, and there's loads of girls that come in and are excited and they're like, oh my God, you're Mahalia's mum. And, and then they buy clothes and they buy bags. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That's so cute. Well, talking <laughs> of your mum, so we like to kind of, before we finish, talk about some of the best learning experiences, advice that you've received. What has been your mum's best piece of advice that she's passed oh, on to you? My mum's best piece of advice. Fucking hell, there's so many. Um, my mum's best piece of advice, I think, professionally was always, nobody is going to give you anything and nobody owes you anything. So I think that really, I think that really stuck with me when I first moved to London. It just meant that I didn't have any expectations. I was kind of ready to like go at it on my own. How old were and you? I was when I when I moved here. I was eighteen. Um, so yeah, that's a and big I, move. Yeah, I felt I felt so young. I just everybody was older than me, and yeah. Did you live like by yourself or no? I like I moved in with family first. And then had to leave there because of reasons out of my control. And then basically anyone that I knew, I just, I, I lived in my, but bless my friend, Joe, I lived in his bed. I lived with him in his bedroom, in, in his room. In his bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for like, for like six months. And I left there. I stayed on a, then I met, so a, a person who I knew said, I've got a cousin who has a sofa that you can stay on. And I was like, oh. I don't know about that, but I didn't have anywhere else to go. So I went there with my guitar and a suitcase. That was five years ago. And she is my absolute ride or fucking die. She's my oh, best friend ever. Oh my God. Yeah. Amazing. So I lived with her and her baby, who's now like my just little pride and joy, Rye. And I lived with them for like four, like four or five months on her so far. And then in the end, I, I kind of was... I was tired I was knackered from being on a sofa and like I think as a woman it's like you know whether it's your time of the month or just like anything it's just quite stressful like having to do that and it's I think particularly for for girls I find anyway privacy is so important sometimes and Mm. and like hygiene and all that kind of stuff like my boyfriend Mm, can like come here and have one pair of boxers if he wanted to whereas I think for us girls it's really different and so I then left there but I think, yeah, I think that was, I think for my mum, that was the biggest piece of advice because then anybody that gave me anything, it felt like a surprise Mm. and it felt like a really amazing thing. But I think personally, my mum, she's just fantastic. When I was 16, she took me to a sex clinic and said, you need to go in here and you need to learn everything you can. And I was like, fucking hell, I'm not even having sex yet. What do I do? And then and then when I was 18 and I was starting to go out and do fun stuff in, in London and also at home in Leicester, my mum said, I don't mind. <laughs> my mum said, I don't mind you going out and doing the one night stand thing. But if you're going to do it, they have to come to your house. You can't go to theirs. It's not it's not safe. So I love that, that. Was, that was my rule when I was kind of growing up and doing Will you make that your rule. Stuff definitely I think it's my parents created such an open space for us to be whoever we wanted to be and nothing was off limits you know if you wanted to do something naughty if you wanted to go out drinking or whatever it's fine just please be safe and like it like it definitely helped me um just as a young woman like navigating sex and relationships and all that Mm. kind of stuff and and it meant that every time I did anything it was safe and I would definitely pass that on to my kids but also just to other young girls like if you're gonna because that stuff doesn't have to be you know the whole idea of I know that we're not really talking about this but the whole idea of a one-night stand doesn't have to be so kind of gross and so kind of odd it can be special yeah and it can be lovely and it's and it's an experience I think if you just do it in the right way and in a way that benefits you particularly for women because women you know safety is really 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 important and I think it's important that we feel safe 
And yeah, so I always made it a rule that if I ever did that, which actually wasn't that much, but if I ever did that, <laughs> it was always to happen at my house and it was always it was always right. And so I think that meant that I just I was really comfortable just like being a Did young that lead woman. to any awkward moments? Any like shit, don't go down to the kitchen. No, it actually never did. My mum was always really, really sweet. And like, also, I didn't always like, sometimes, sometimes like somebody might come back with me after a night out, but nothing ever happened. I was really, 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 when I was like younger and single, I was actually quite, um, I used to meet really nice guys who like maybe weren't even after anything sexual. Lord, where did you find them? (laughs) I know, Leicester, baby. <laughs> Not in London. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. What about your perfect night in? So is it you and your partner, you're on the sofa, you're doing some cooking, like what's on the yeah. soundtrack? Like, do you have go-to music that you play when you're cooking? Yes. I Well, actually, he always covers music. So he plays a lot of, like, different stuff. He'll normally put an album on. We're both really into Don Tolliver at the minute. Um so yeah I think perfect night in is just like yeah it's just on the sofa I'll probably cook dinner what's your special dish so at the minute I don't know I don't know what it is but I my mum taught me how to make a spaghetti bolognese when I was quite young and then when I first moved to London that became like my comfort meal because I just kind of knew how to do it quickly and I have somehow I think it's from having a boyfriend and like you know all of his friends being here sometimes like I make the most unbelievable spaghetti bolognese and I think it's like over time I've like added like secret ingredients like well not really secret but like red wine is a staple um Worcester sauce is a staple Mm. to me cinnamon is a staple cinnamon yeah interesting and so now and and I've just started making my own like homemade (laughs) garlic bread so I feel like because they love that I that's like my go-to when they're here and but right now the addiction has been Monopoly which is quite weird nice you just keep playing Monopoly I've never finished the games ever I know I know I know but my boyfriend is so good and he buys everything the game is finished in like half an hour which is a bit shit but you guys watch much tv have you seen any series or films that you've been obsessed with recently Yes, so recently we've been watching, what I've been watching, so we quite quickly got through The Handmaid's Tale, we've been watching Lost, Lost in Space, um, which is really fun, it's on, so it's a Netflix original, but the actual the original Lost in Space, my dad gave me as in a box set when I was like seven or eight, so that, that's been super fun. We also watched Selling Sunset, which feels like a little bit of a guilty pleasure. Oh, I still haven't watched that, but I know I would oh love it, God. I just need to commit. It's really so stupidly addictive. Good. Yeah, it's so good. Like, it's one of those things that I see and I'm like, I would never enjoy that. And then you watch it and you're like, fuck me, I'm I'm completely invested. I just watched Desperate Housewives for the first time and I just couldn't, I was obsessed. Oh my God, oh my God what a so treat. Good. What a treat. So good. You have like all, what, yeah. it's like seven seasons or something. Yeah, and I'm binge watching Modern Family right now, so. Oh, on Netflix as well, yeah. so easy. So oh easy. my god yeah do you read much are you a book fan are you I an audio book girl to, I used to be more of a book girl I think it, I think it kind of I stopped reading I think like I think I stopped reading in lockdown I think lockdown for me became like I kind of just got so engrossed by a different series and tv but I used to really love reading it used to but I always read on tour so I think because I stopped touring I just completely stopped so wholesome books. Yeah, it's like awesome touring activity. <laughs> Reading on tour is so good because you're you spend so much time sitting waiting around for like gear to be loaded in and whatnot and whatnot. So, but I really love I really love like cr- like crime thrillers or mysteries or mm. anything that just kind of makes anything that's a turn pager. Bit of Lee page Charles. turner. <laughs> page turner. Not a turn pager. <laughs> well, Mahalia, we know that you have to go to therapy so I think this would be a great question to end on it's something we ask all our guests which is what is the one thing you would like to thank your therapist for oh my god oh my god um I would like 
I think I would just like to thank her for... Well, I can't say for listening because they have to do that. You're kind of paying them <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like, I think she... Do you know what? My Me and my therapist, when I first met her, she... It was always quite serious. I think I would talk and sometimes I would cry and we would talk together. But we're in a place now where, like, we we laugh. Um, and we talk and she laughs at things I say and sometimes she says things and I laugh. And I kind of... I think I want to thank her for creating a space that is so open to any emotion. Because laughing isn't something that I ever thought happened in therapy, I don't think. I think it... I think I always saw it as being quite a serious thing, but I, she definitely created a space where I felt comfortable to kind of do that. So, and I, that might be quite silly, but that's really important to me that I'm able to like. I think that's. I think it's lovely. Yeah. It's a great little tip. Thank you, Mahalia's therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thank you, Mahalia. I know, Thank amazing. You. That was so fun. Loved hearing. So we're gonna we're gonna direct all your fans onto the EP. Yes. Yep. Where can the they find yet. you? I can't oh. tell you the name yet. Top secret. Um, top secret name, but they can. You guys can find me anywhere. You can find me on all your favorite social media platforms, <laughs> um, on all the streaming platforms. Just and I'm just Mahalia. M a h a l i a because everybody always gets confused and if someone has literally been living under a rock and has never even heard of you and they're tuning in for the first time where do they start oh I would start I mean I wouldn't look at my Wikipedia. well no in fact I would start read my Wikipedia it's actually extremely accurate that will give you <laughs> a really good I know that would give it's you Rachel. a great yeah I was gonna say that's unusual has yeah. Rachel been doing a few little amendments I think that will give you a great overview of who I am. And then I would start, I would start from the beginning. If you were going to listen to music, I would start from the Headspace EP, which came out in 2013, I think. Love that. Amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Have a lovely, lovely afternoon. Thank Thank you. you. And cheers to your Cheers. 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 We're back. Um, guys, just wanted to say a final goodbye uh, before you tune back in with us next season. As you must have heard in the outro, this is our season finale. Thanks for being with us um, for the past two seasons. Do hit us up, as Kathleen loves to tell you again and again and again. Do rate, review and subscribe or just send us an email at hello at straightappodcast.co.uk. Tell us which guests you loved, which questions you love, which guests you would love to have on the podcast and we will try and make your wishes come true. Please do, guys. We want to hear from you for season three and we're in the middle of planning right now. So your hopes, your dreams, your wishes, we're ready for them. Very exciting. And we love you. We're ready. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, and... Thank you, Marlon Percy. For our music and editing. Music and editing. As always. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See ya.